All right, so we're picking up in Matthew 3. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand and we'll get you one. We'll, we can help you find Matthew 3 if you need it. There are some extra Bibles down there uh, or back there on the bar. We're picking up from where we left off before. We just started doing Matthew, and it's, it's really cool to be in a gospel because we've, we've spent a lot of time studying other books of the Bible, um, particularly in the New Testament. We've spent an extended amount of time, but it's, it's, it's cool to be able to get to a gospel. Um, and just rather than talking about allusions to Jesus, we just get to talk about Jesus. And that's what we really want to do here. So, so we get to start doing that now that we're in Matthew. Um, and we're still in a little bit of a lead-up time. Um, here in Matthew 3, where we're picking up in the narrative and the story of the Bible, it's been about 400 years since Israel has had a prophet, any kind of real prophet. Malachi was the last one. He was like around 450 B.C. or something like that. And after that, silence. Like, they were just kind of waiting. There was a promise that there was going to be some sort of final solution, that God was going to do something and everything was going to be better. And they were just waiting on that for over 400 years. That's a lot of waiting. Most people end up dying waiting. But now that's going to change. Also, they've had, it's been over 600 years since they've had a king. No king in Israel. And again, this has been promised that God was going to work out some sort of long-term solution so that they would have a king. And now that is beginning to, to fall into place. They're beginning to see some of this. And that's what we're going to see here in Matthew 3. I'm just going to read uh, the first six verses to get us started. We'll go through 12 this morning if, we, if I manage to get through it. Uh, but we'll start with the first six. So verse 1. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist. And his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. So the, you have this unique character who, who is now, everybody's hearing, like, uh, I wish I had a map so I could show you. He's, he's not too far from Jerusalem. Uh, he's, he's in the wilderness, like he's out in the middle of nowhere, so to speak, but, but he's, he's in proximity to Jerusalem, which is like the main city in Israel. So, so everybody is hearing that there's this guy like outside the city who is calling people to repentance. He's, he started up this ministry. He's kind of an odd guy. And, and, and he's calling himself a prophet. And people, people are beginning to wonder, like, well, this is, a, this is a big deal. Because we haven't had a prophet in over 400 years. And so it's not, some, it's not a small thing for this guy to be out here doing a prophet's work in the wilderness. And so they begin to th start thinking, like, what, what could this mean? What is God doing right now? And Matthew, thankfully, tells us. He says that this is what was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, this man doing this ministry is a fulfillment of prophecy 
the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Other places, Malachi 3 and 4, um, talk about the spirit of Elijah arriving before Christ would, would come. Uh, in Malachi 4, verse 5, this is one of the last, this is the next to last verse in the Old Testament. Before 450 years of silence, Malachi 4, verse 5 says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. So this man is a prophet fulfilling this promise to be Elijah, to be in the spirit of Elijah, and he's calling them to repent. And so if you're a Jew and you're seeing, and you're seeing these things being talked about and you're seeing these things come to pass, then you're, then you're naturally thinking that the Messiah is coming. So this is an exciting time. This is a really exciting time because these people are, these people are worn out, like, the Jews have been doing the same thing for, at this point, over a thousand years. They have been going through the motions in a sense. They've had the Mosaic law. They've been worshiping at the temple, sacrificing, doing all these sorts of things. They've been screwing up a ton and, and they keep messing up. It's like, it's cyclical. We've just been through the Old Testament and you just see time and time again, God does something amazing, and then things are great for a little while, and then they make bad decisions repeatedly, and then God will swoop in again and, and, and do something amazing, and then they'll continue to make bad decisions until things get worse and worse and worse. And right now, they are in kind of a worse and worse and worse. Like, they are on a decline right now because they have been overtaken by the Romans. Like, they, they don't have even their own government, really, at this point, they are, they're subject. They're in, a, they're in a sense, they're servants again, like they were in Egypt. Like they are under somebody else now. They're not in their kingdom. They're in somebody else's kingdom. But this man comes saying that he's a prophet and he starts preaching. God is doing something. And this is something worth getting excited about because things look like they're going to change. So he's out there and, and he's, I'll try to kind of explain a little bit the whole spirit of Elijah thing. Um, that doesn't mean, I don't think that we're really like, anybody in here is like really into mysticism or anything like that or like uh, divination or anything like that. I'm not, we're not talking about like this guy has been like possessed by Elijah or that there's been some sort of reincarnation of Elijah. Not that you guys think that, but just in case. Um, that's not the idea here. The, the idea is that it's not Elijah himself, but it's the spirit of Elijah. So what, what spirit enabled Elijah to do his ministry? The Holy Spirit, God's spirit. Elijah was a man full of the spirit. And, and, and his ministry was similar to what John the Baptist is doing right now. For one, they, they look kind of the same. Uh, in, in 2 Kings 1.8, it describes like somebody, somebody's coming up to the king and he's saying, hey, there's this guy out here who's dressed like in, in camel's hair and he's got this leather belt around him. He looks kind of weird. And the king's like, oh, that's Elijah. <laughs> 
Like, and, and so John the Baptist is, is dressed similarly. Also, Elijah spent a lot of time in the wilderness. Um, not because he really loved the wilderness. He was mostly running for his life um, in the wilderness. And, and as, he, as he called people to repent, there was some pushback. And so he ends up in the wilderness fleeing for his life. And, and he's out there still calling people to repent. And so there's this similarity there also, this, this geographic similarity. Um, also, <clears throat> they also have a similar message. So he, just like Elijah, during a time when the leadership is corrupt, he's calling people to repent and to remember who God is and what he's done. So similar clothes, similar place, similar place of ministry, uh, similar spirit, the same spirit enabling them to do the work and also a similar message. So in that sense, he is like Elijah. And you can find uh, other references to this. In the New Testament, when the angel comes and, and tells Zechariah, John the Baptist's dad, that he's going to be born, he says that this, this baby will be in the spirit. He will work in the power and spirit of Elijah. That's in Luke 1. You can go see that. We won't read it directly. But Luke 1, verses 15 through 17, the angel tells him he's going to come in the spirit of Elijah. And also Jesus mentions him in Luke 11. I don't remember the exact verse. But Jesus says he has come in the spirit of Elijah. So, so don't think of it as this weird kind of like Elijah's actual spirit, like embodying this man. It's more like God is doing something similar through John the Baptist that he did through Elijah. So he's come. And that's a huge deal. Like Elijah's looked up to big time. And part of the reason is because of all those prophecies that said, Elijah's going to come. So, so they, this, is, this is huge for him to, to be coming out here and, and to be preaching in this way and to be fulfilling all these prophecies. Let's look at his message he calls them in verse two, his, his primary message is repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So he's out there in the wilderness calling these people to repent. And what I, th I think that there's, I think that there's a ton that's interesting here. I, I hope I don't go off on too many tangents um, or at least that they're relevant if I do. Um, one thing that I think is really cool is the way that Matthew has kind of structured this. Because Matthew, we, we've already talked about how Matthew is fulfilling things that happened in the Old Testament. Like promises that, that were, were made in the Old Testament are being fulfilled here. And, and he is explicit. Even here we see this is to fulfill what Isaiah said. So, so that's important. But I also think that it's cool the way that he structured his narrative. Because what's, what did we just talk about with regard to Jesus? Where did Jesus just come from? Last, ten, last thing we heard from Matthew. They, Egypt. They went down to Egypt. So they were fleeing for their lives, kind of like Israel, fleeing from famine, going down to Egypt, being incubated for a number of years. And now Jesus comes back. And the next thing that we're talking about in the Gospel of Matthew is how there's this prophet in the wilderness, calling people to remember the covenant of God, which is like the Israelites coming out of Egypt, going into the wilderness, meeting God, and God saying, here's what you need to do. Like, I feel like that's cool. Like, that, he doesn't explain, Matthew doesn't, like, give his little commentary and say, this is why I'm doing this. Like, 
and, and, and get all, you don't hear his excitement in that. But Jews reading this would have recognized this structure. It's like, hey, building blocks, like things, things are being, there's a case being built here. This is really cool. So Elijah is calling them out to the wilderness to repent, to turn back towards God. And he says, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. There's a king coming. The king, and we talked about this recently, how Gentiles have already recognized Jesus as king. The, the, the wise men have come and they've already worshipped him as king. But the Jews who've been waiting for a king, they're, they're just sitting around saying, man, I wish this king would show up. And Elijah, or Elijah, John the Baptist is saying, hey, he's coming. He's here. Get ready. There is a king that is coming. So he's having to tell the Jews, hey, get caught up. Come on. There's a king who's coming. There's a kingdom that's coming. You need to be ready for this. And some people receive this. They're excited about this, as they should be. It says in verse 6, well, verse 5, Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him. They wanted to hear what he had to say, and they responded. In verse 6, it says they were being baptized by him, and they were confessing their sins. So there were a lot of people who, who heard this message and got excited, and they said, I, I'm, I'm ready for this. I, I am tired of, of doing these sacrifices and trying to act like I'm earning my own salvation. I, I'm, I'm ready for this king, this promised king. I'm weary. And so they, they hear his message and they are ecstatic and they confess their sins. They get baptized. But not everybody has that kind of reaction, though, when they hear his message. In verse 7, let's continue on. Um, it says, but when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So you, you might already know, the Pharisees and Sadducees were like the religious elites. They were the religious leaders. So not only were they Jews, they, they knew the Old Testament inside and out. And not only that, they were kind of like the enforcers. They, they knew it so much that they would go around teaching other people, telling other people, and what they needed to do. And, and they, they were telling other people how they needed to live. So these guys were like, you would think that these guys are the ones who would have the best grasp on what's going on here and would maybe be the most excited. But they just start trying up and John the Baptist recognizes them and calls them out. And he's not too nice. <laughs> you brood of vipers. There was a problem in the Pharisees' mind with what John the Baptist was doing. Um, of course, they, they know the right way. And, and what John the Baptist was doing was he was calling the Jews to do something that was really usually reserved for Gentiles. I don't know if you've ever heard this before. I think that this is pretty cool. Um, he's coming out here and he's telling all the Jews that they need to repent and that they need to be baptized. This is the first time that baptism is mentioned in the Bible. Uh, well, I guess that in this sense, yes. Um, 
And it has ties to what the Jews did, the ritual that the Jews went through when they were proselytizing, when they were trying to uh, teach Judaism to the Gentiles, to people who weren't Jews. They would tell them, hey, you need to realize your sin before God, you need to repent of that sin, and you need to be cleansed. And so what they would do, they would actually physically take people out to water. They had pools in some places. In the sense they're using a river, they would take them out and they would, they would dunk them in this water. And it was this form of like ritual cleansing that they would do as a way of showing their humility and a way of showing the fact that they are submitting to God and that they realize that they're broken, they're dirty, and need to be cleaned and washed and made right before God. But that was something that they did for Gentiles, not for Jews. Because Jews were Jews, and all they had to do was start like doing the checklist. And they said, we're good. We're God's people. So the Pharisees and Sadducees, they see this guy out here in the wilderness doing ministry that's usually reserved for the Gentiles, the dogs, the, the broken and ugly, other not chosen by God people. And he's saying, you Jews, you religious leaders, you everybody, you need to come out here and you need to repent of the fact that you are broken and sinful and dirty and ugly before God. And that for hundreds of years, we have been doing nothing but messing this up. You need to repent of that. You need to confess your sins and you need to turn and look to God for his salvation. And they, they start flipping out because they're like, you don't, you, don't, you don't understand what you're talking about because we, we've got this figured out. We, we have our birth certificate right here. It says Jew, God's person. Like right there on my birth certificate. And he said, that doesn't matter. In verse 9, he says to them, Don't presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. So what he's essentially saying is, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter who your dad is, who your mom is, what your job is, what, how many times a day you pray. Like, none of that matters with regard to you getting your own salvation. Your birth certificate doesn't matter. Your socioeconomic status doesn't matter. So for the people who are really puffed up on themselves and thinking, man... I'm really something, whether because of their, their parents, maybe they did something amazing in ministry, or maybe they were just really good people, church folk, maybe because you, you feel like you live a really moral lifestyle, or because you work real hard, and, and you've made a, you know, a name for yourself, some status, like none of that matters. He's saying that really the only thing that matters is your personal relationship to God. It doesn't matter what your family lineage is or any of this other stuff. It matters how you personally relate to God. And what he's saying is, you're broken. And you need to repent. And for them, this is like an outrageous thing. Because they've already earned it. But he's saying, not only have you not earned it, this king that's coming, he says... In verse 10, this king and this kingdom that's coming is carrying an axe. 
He says, even now, the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that doesn't bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. He told them in verse 8, you need to bear fruit in keeping with repentance. They, they thought they had it all. They called themselves Christians. They lived like Christians. Well, Christians. They did not call themselves Christians. I'm trying to get to the application. This is a little foreshadowing. Um, <clears throat> they called themselves Jews. They called themselves chosen by God. They lived like it. They followed the checklist. And they thought, everything's good with us. And to everybody else, they would have looked at them and said, yeah, if anybody's getting into heaven, it's those guys. Because you can see all the work they're doing. They're so righteous, like nobody would have guessed. But John says, you say that you're repentant. You say that you follow God. But you are not bearing fruit in keeping with repentance. There is no outward sign that God is actually at work inside of your heart, changing you, doing things through your life. So you can say all day long that you were raised in church, that your dad was a pastor, that your mom was in children's ministry all her life, or, wor or worship, or, or whatever, or they had amazing jobs, they worked in parachurch ministries, you know, whatever. Or you've done all these things. You go to church every time the doors are open. You... You're working real hard to make it look like you're a Christian or in this case, their case, a Jew. He says, that's not enough. God actually needs to be at work in you, bearing fruit that actually shows that you are in keeping with this repentance. And it's not just talk coming out of your mouth, but it's something that everybody can look at and see because Jesus is coming and he's coming with a scepter, in a sense. Like, he, he is king. He's coming with a crown. He's going to come, and he's coming to save. But he's also coming with an axe. And he's going he's gonna to sort everything out. And so he warns them to check themselves and to receive this teaching with humility, just like everybody else because they need it. So, let's, let's continue reading. So, in verse 11, he says, I baptize you with water for repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. And his winnowing fork is in his hand. And he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff will be burned how he will burn with unquenchable fire. So he's, he's saying to them, you need to repent. You need to be baptized. You need to humble yourself in front of God. Because what I'm doing is getting everybody ready. I'm preparing the way. I'm preaching Jesus. But when Jesus comes, it's going to be different. For those that are his... For those that are repentant and bearing fruit in repentance, he's going to baptize them with the Holy Spirit. He's going to baptize them with fire. And everybody who is not in Christ 
no matter who they were, no matter how powerful, no matter how low, he's going to sort it out. And he's going to throw everybody that was faking into the fire. And so he's saying, get ready. Also, I think that it's worth noting John's humility in this. Like, I feel like this is really cool. You've got this, he, he, the way that he talks about himself with regard to Jesus. He says, one who is coming, who is mightier than me, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. You see this in a couple different passages. John the Baptist has, he's saying these big things, making these big claims, talking real bold to these religious leaders. But at the same time, he's very humble. He is self-deprecating. He has this position that his existence is to make much of Jesus. In John 3.30, I think it is. People come up to him talking about, are you Elijah? Are you this guy? Jesus is coming, and and what are you going to do? And he says, listen, this is part of the point. He must increase. I must decrease. I am not worthy to be the lowliest servant of this man who is coming. He has this very real sense of humility in him that is admirable and is worth imitating. I feel like he he sees himself as nothing next to Christ. And when people come up and try to make a whole lot out of him, he says, no, 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 no. No, I am not that guy. I'm not Elijah. I'm not the prophet. I'm not Christ. I'm less than, infinitely less than. And it's cool to see that kind of attitude because I feel like for those of us in ministry or maybe pursuing ministry, like everybody, everybody looks towards the celebrity pastors. It's weird that we have those. Um, but like you say, man, I'm going to go out and evangelize and I'm going to be like Francis Chan. Or I'm going to be like David Platt. Or I'm going to be like so-and-so. And that's going to be me. And one day, like this church is going to be amazing. There's going to be so many of my new disciples in here. And like... Me preaching, I'm like, I I love John Piper, D.A. Carson, Tim Keller, all these guys who are just amazing preachers, who are doing really good work. And I look to them and I say, it would be so cool. And if somebody came up to me and said, you preach like John Piper, I'd be like, I made it. (laughs) And I feel like we, we, we kind of get envious, even in ministry. But John the Baptist, people were running up to him and they're saying, are you, are you Elijah? Are you Christ? Are you the prophet? Are you the guy who's like, who we all need to be freaking out about right now? And he says, no, please, no, please don't. Please do not call me that. Do not make anything of me. I'm not worthy of, unti- of tying or untying these guys' shoes. He's humble in a way that you just don't see very often. And that, that's admirable. I feel like looking through these verses, we are one of, th- we're probably in one of three situations that we can relate to in here. One is maybe, maybe that we can relate to the Jews, the Jewish people, who are just kind of sitting and waiting and, and searching 
for salvation. Like we're worn out because we've tried so many different things and it's just not working. And, and our lives aren't getting any better and everything just seems to break around us and we're desperate for something real, desperate for something better. John the Baptist comes and he says, hey, there's a king, there's a kingdom, there's a savior. He is coming, he is gonna make everything right. And so that's worth getting excited about. But he says, hey, it's gonna, it's, you have to make room. He says, when I say prepare room, that's not like we're gonna build this road or roll out the red carpet, like do something physical to actually physically prepare for this guy showing up. You're gonna have to make room in your heart for this man to take over because only he can save you. So maybe some of us, we, we read this and, and that's kind of where we land. We can relate to them weariness in need of salvation, knowing that we can't do anything to make ourselves any better. Maybe we look at this and we say we're like the Pharisees. I got to be honest, this is probably where I'm going to land if I'm landing somewhere in here is because maybe we look at ourselves and we feel like, man, I'm doing I'm doing X, Y and Z. My parents were saved. I grew up Christian. You know, I, I identify there. Like my life looks like it's Christian. Anybody else who's looking out on the outside, looking in, even in here, looking in would probably say, hey, he's a Christian. He gets up there, he preaches. What he's saying is none of that matters. What matters is whether or not you have confessed your sins to God, whether or not you've come before him broken and humble, whether or not you have repented, meaning that you have turned away, not just, not just that you said, hey guys, I feel bad about this, but you have actually done a 180. You were chasing after your own pleasures, now you're chasing after Christ, and now your life bears fruit. Like people look and they see that something has changed. You might relate to, to one of the Pharisees. Or maybe you feel like, you know, I am broken. I am repentant. I've done all these things. I, I, I confess that I, I need Christ and I'm proclaiming Christ. Then, then for those who, who maybe don't feel convicted by John the Baptist's words, I think it's worth noting the manner in which he proclaims Christ. We keep talking about... Um, this, this year especially, we've, we've made a, an, an emphasis on evangelism, going out, making disciples, telling other people about it. I feel like there's a lot worth emulating in John the Baptist's example, where he's out there and he's very self-deprecating, he's very humble. He says, it's not about me, it's not about me. Please don't look at me, look at Jesus. For those of us who, are, who get nervous about telling other people about Jesus, I feel like, and this happens to me, we focus on ourselves and, and we have this false humility. It's like, oh, I'm not good at this. I can't speak in front of people. You th we think that's humility. It's like, oh, I'm not, I'm not charismatic. I'm not good at that. But what you're actually doing is you're putting all the emphasis on yourself. And you're saying, it's all about me. It's all about me looking good or not looking good. It's all about me being able to change people. 
And, and John the Baptist doesn't seem to have that kind of concern. He says, it's not about me. I'm the worst. But nevertheless, he's out there being super bold. As a matter of fact, he's going to get killed for his boldness. Because he calls out later on one of the governing rulers and says, hey, you're in sin. And he says, I don't like you. I'm going to cut your head off. So that's what ends up happening to John the Baptist. But he's bold because he's confident. Not because, he, not because he's focused on himself, worrying about what he's going to say. He's bold because he's focused on Christ. And he says, Christ is, is, is worthy of my confidence. He's worthy of, my pro, of this proclamation. And I'm going to say what needs to be said. And so I feel like those two things are worth replicating in John the Baptist's ministry. His humility, his self-deprecating kind of nature, and his lifting up Christ and his boldness in doing so. So I kind of felt bad because I was like, I can't land on any one of these, but maybe it's good because I feel like it's, we can see ourselves in any one of those kind of places looking at this. So during this response time, we're going to pray. And no matter where you are, because I feel like you're somewhere, you're one of those, we can respond to this. So if you feel like you need to spend some time just praying about one of those, then, then you can just take some time and pray about it. If you want somebody to pray with you, you can come grab me. Uh, you can grab Tanner. We'll pray with you or anybody else in here. We'll pray with you. But, but think about these things. Kind of reflect on where you are. Ask God to reveal which one of these applies to you. And, and let's respond. All right? Let's pray.